You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everyone. Adam Tarno here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Better Man Podcast. Our guest today is my friend, Nathan Wagnon. Nathan and I met almost 20 years ago over at Dallas Seminary here in Dallas, Texas, and we have been friends ever since. But despite our friendship that has lasted almost 20 years, there are a lot of differences between me and Nathan. I mean, number one, he actually graduated from seminary. I did not. Uh, he went on to join the Army after he graduated from seminary with his master's in theology, and then he went to go do two tours in Afghanistan. For me, after I dropped out of seminary, I went on to become an accountant, and so that's a, that's a pretty big difference. Uh, when Nathan was done serving our country, he came back to the U.S., and he obtained a Ph.D. from Talbot Seminary at Biola University. I didn't do that. Uh, But then our paths crossed again when we both served on staff at Watermark Community Church here in Dallas, where Nathan still serves today as the Director of Equipping and Apologetics. Here's why I invited Nathan on the podcast today, because he has a gift. He is truly one of the smartest and deepest thinkers I know, but he also has one of the best laughs of anyone I know. He truly is this unique mix of depth, uh, but also he's just a guy you can talk to. Uh, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the six stages of spiritual growth, and I know that you're going to love learning from Nathan. So take a listen to this conversation, and then I'll come back with a few closing comments. So here's what we're going to talk about today, Nathan. Today we're going to talk about growth, and uh, this is, as I was thinking about this, I think men are fascinated with growth or we uh, we dream about growth. If you think about it as a little kid, you and I both have little kids. Little kids, you first want to grow up, right? Oh, yeah, you want to grow yeah. tall. Then when you get into middle school, high school, you want to start to grow out, right? You want to get some muscles. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so then there's that. Then you maybe get to college and you think you want to grow smart and so so that you can get a job and then maybe grow rich, yeah, right? Yeah. Is maybe what some men think. <laughs> and then maybe you get past a little middle age like you and I, and we maybe want to start to grow in now mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that growing out has yeah. taken on yeah. too much and our waistlines, we want to <laughs> change all that. So I think men are, are uh, kind of fascinated with growth. We like to think about growth, but we're not going to talk about those kind of growths today or that kind of growth today. Today, we're going to talk about spiritual growth because I think it is a lot of men that especially listen to this podcast are interested in that but it's kind of mysterious, right? There's some mystery to it. And so uh, this is a subject that I know fascinates you. So why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of a background? How did you get into this subject or being interested in this subject? When you and I first met at Dallas Seminary, I was very much in a tension point in my life. And that came to a head where I was like, man, there's got to be something that's helpful. Um, Like when you're a kid and in a healthy environment, you're a kid, you have a dad who's there to kind of like help you along and tell you, you know, when, when, uh, changes start happening to your body, like, right. Hey son, here's what's going on, yeah. you know? And you're like, okay, I'm, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it, this is just a way where I was like, man, why there's gotta be something out there that helps us with the various seasons of the soul, so to yeah. speak. And, um, so, uh, as you know, got my master's at Dallas Seminary, and then I took off in the Army for a little while and was in the Army for about six years. Uh, coming on the tail end of that, I started my doctoral work at uh, Biola University at Talbot School of Theology, and one of the visiting professors was a guy named Bruce Demarest. Hmm. And Bruce wrote a book uh, called Seasons of the Soul and gave a lecture on it out there. And, I, dude, I'm telling you, at the end of that, time. It was about an hour and a half time block. Mm. Um, I was just blown away. And 
everything made so much sense. It was all like, oh, you're giving me language to things that I felt internally, but I didn't know what to call it. Yeah. And so that that start that was about um, that was about eight years ago, um, seven or eight years ago, and and I've been, you know, then I come to realize, oh, this is actually something that's very ancient. People have been writing and talking about it for a long time, and I started digging into all that, and you know, in those those uh, as you were talking about those breakdowns in those uh, segments or stages can be very helpful. Um, I, we may have to edit this out, but my dad years ago, when I was, uh, probably 10 or 11, he handed me a book called what's happening to my body. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get this out. What's happening to my body, a book for boys. Okay. Yeah, 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 I remember yeah. being appalled when he handed me this because there was nothing happening to my body. Right. Oh gosh. <laughs> so, so this, you were like, dang it. What am I, <laughs> what, what are you giving yeah, me? Yeah, right. Yeah, totally. So then I open up the book cause my, my dad's like, let me know if you have any questions and there were drawings of stages of development, right? And so you're right. It took this mysterious thing and just put some categories around it. And as silly as it was, I mean, we're laughing about it now, but those categories are helpful, right? And so you've seen that uh, there's all kinds of different categories like that with uh, think about anything in life, whether whether it be your career, if you're trying to progress as a professional or uh, maybe it's just something like uh, CrossFit or something. Mm-hmm. You have these bench these benchmarks and these milestones, you know, little things like that. So these things can be helpful. And, uh, and that's what we want to talk about today, because you have this framework that you use for talking about the stages of spiritual growth, that the first time I heard it, uh, it was not over 90 minutes, and you're not uh, Dr. Demarest, but um, yeah, right. but you're pretty great, and uh, and it was really helpful for me, yeah, too. Bruce, if you're listening to this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he's just ripping you off. Yeah, but right, right. Anyway, so... Um, Let's do this. Let's just talk through the framework, because I think uh, a lot of our listeners, as they hear you talk through this, they're going to go, that is helpful language to help me understand where I'm going. So there are six stages of spiritual growth with an interlude. Yeah. Yeah. And where Bruce got it from, his Seasons of the Soul, is really a work he'd also done with uh, a guy named Robert Gulick, who unfortunately has died, and Janet Hagberg, who wrote a book called Their Critical Journey. And you can go get that on Amazon. That's in its second edition. It's really helpful. And, uh, and, and Hagberg and Gulick are the ones who kind of organized it into these six stages, although there's some debate about which stage happens where and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but generally speaking, yeah, there are six stages with an interlude period um, somewhere in there. All right. Well, let's just go through these. So the very first stage is what you call the converted life. So, so what is that stage? Yeah. So the converted life and one, one little caveat before we launch into it is I would say um, for the person out there listening to this and I'm about to give you a framework for this that I think you might find helpful. However, this is going to sound really clean, you know, and just like anything, it's just not, I mean, you can go sit in a, you can go sit in a seminar on adolescence and walk out and be like, I know everything about being an adolescent. And then you hit 13 and it it all flies out the window. Like, so, um, so this is not clean. However, they're good handles for us to think through it. And then, and then secondly, I would just say like, this is not a, um, this is not a process where you're you progress from stage one to two to three, and there's no like going back. Right. Um, it's a fluid thing. You can occupy more than one stage at a time, and you know. And then thirdly, and most importantly, is the Holy Spirit is orchestrating all of this. Like this is not something that you try hard to do to get to the next stage. Like you're very much being carried along by the Holy Spirit who knows you way better than you know yourself yep. and he knows what's good for you and he knows what's good for you when it's good for you and he's going to make it happen and so 
just sit back and ride the wave. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Okay. But so, yes, converted life. Converted life. The converted life is, uh, yeah, that's just that if we're talking about it in terms of normal human development, this is just the infancy stage. You know, this is the stage where it's discovery. The The Holy Spirit has done a work in your life to regenerate you, to energize you with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And and you're just new, like everything is new. Yep. And uh, that typically can be marked, not always, but can typically be marked by a, a really strong emotional attachment to God. He feels very secure. He feels very close. I remember when I was going through this stage as a young boy, um, I remember, man, I, I was like, man, we what? let's just go charge hell with a water pistol. Yeah. Like you feel invincible <laughs> yep. um, because there's so um, uh, the gospel is fresh. It's new and you want to, you know, you, you want to get after it. Um, you have the same enthusiasm as a two year old, yeah. you know, who's discovering things for the first time, which is ironic because the, the, the problem with this stage is that, you have this feelings of invincibility, but it's also the the time in your life when you're the most vulnerable, mm. right? So that's not a good combination, which is why you you stay close to your two year old. Otherwise, it sounds like a college student in some ways too, right? <laughs> They're at the the peak of their confidence, but the valley of their wisdom, yeah, right? Is no, kind of what you're saying. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. And uh, and so um, I think what what the disciple of Jesus needs in that moment in the converted life is really to get incorporated into the community of of God. So this is where a lot of people, um, because they either uh, don't have a healthy local body that they can plug into, or because they've been wounded by the church in the past, or what whatever baggage they bring to the table, a lot of people stay in this stage. And they they feel the tension of knowing that I should get involved or I should get plugged into the community of God, and yet um, there's X, Y, or Z reason that I'm not doing that. And so um, their faith gets relegated down to just a, well, you know, like a bumper sticker theology. Um, I'm, I'm not perfect, just forgiven, yeah. right? And so it's used as this kind of blank check to be like, well, I don't know, life's hard, but Jesus forgives me, and I'm just going to kind of do the best I can, yeah. you know? But they stay spiritually an infant because you cannot grow outside of the context of a family. Yeah. Right. I mean, it would be like uh, a baby being born and just and just uh, sitting it out and it's orphaned with no uh, family to take it in. You know, this is a very sweet stage. It totally is. I mean, it is so fun to be around young men or young women that have gone through this stage. And I say young. I mean, I I guess it's really just young in the faith. I mean, because it really could be any age. But that. That newness, uh, there is something there that is incredibly sweet, incredibly fun. I think when you see somebody else like that, it, there's some nostalgia that comes up in oh, your own yeah, life. Even yeah. as you're describing that, I'm thinking back to, to days. I was 21 years old when I became a, a follower of Jesus on the Clemson at Clemson University, and I can remember certain spots on that campus where I was thinking, "This is all so new yeah, right yeah. now," and I love it. Right, yeah. I love it, and so it was a really uh, fun and sweet stage. It's so beautiful, man. We've yeah, for sure. We've had a couple of people come through our apologetics ministry recently who have trusted Jesus, and just to watch them do that, it just is really, really beautiful. So I say something here. I've said elsewhere. 
Um, because if you're not in the converted life, sometimes if you're not mature enough, you can look at people like this and you can be like, oh, you know, he's young. He doesn't know yet. Yes. You know, and it's like, man, the worst thing you can do for somebody in this stage is to like put out that fire. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're going to want to charge hell with a water pistol. And, and you might have the wisdom to know that that's probably not a great idea, but you want them to believe yep. that they can. Yeah. You know? yeah. They're not making, uh, like a kid, they're not making uh, the best or wisest decisions mm-hmm. sometimes yep. with how to exercise this new faith. I remember for me, this was, you know, I alluded to my, to my dad a few moments ago, but there were some, uh, what I look back on now going, those were embarrassing conversations that I had with them, <laughs> trying to get them to feel this thing that I was feeling that was so new not having the language of the maturity to even describe what I had been through. And, uh, and so there were some things that I said that I regretted during that time. And that's just, and that's okay. It's part of the growing process, you know, and it's our responsibility as people who are a little further down the road to stoke that fire, to encourage them. The, the major needs for this person in this stage is to be seen, to be heard, to feel powerful and 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 I mean that that's why you know as a as a dad of young kids when my kids do something ever so slight you just like throw a party yeah that was amazing you know so that that's that's this stage that's it all right so now you move on and and again as we just said there's not these clean lines you don't get yeah, this ribbon yeah. that says you just graduated <laughs> but but you do look back and you realize now it's different and so now you move into the second stage which is called the learning life so talk about that. Yeah, this stage is marked by primarily um, you. You have this tension point at the end of the converted life where you're like, "Dude, I, I, I feel seen, I feel heard, but also uh, you begin to realize that you don't know." Yes, and that can be a really disorienting experience where you're like, "Oh, dang, uh, I need, I need something," and you're not even sure what it is. But if you get incorporated into the family of God, then you're going to be around people who are further along than you are, who will be able to teach you. And so this stage is just marked by uh, learning basic stuff. I mean, you're this is the, whether it's in a formalized, quote unquote, discipleship group or a small group community or a, or a mentor or whatever it looks like, where people are helping you now put put language onto your experiences and they're helping you think through uh, the Christian faith, the Christian life. They're teaching you basic spiritual disciplines like, all right, dude, let me show you how to read the Bible. Yeah. Let me show you how to pray. Yeah. And it's not, it's not theological. It's not, you know, seminary or anything like that. It's just basic, basic like stuff. just read your Bible, yeah. you know? And, uh, and you begin to uh, put some pieces together where, you're, where you begin to understand in a deeper way what the, what the meta-narrative or the grand story of Scripture is, and you begin to see how you fit into it. And uh, it's stuff just—this this stage is light bulbs coming on, yeah. where you're like, oh, oh, lots of eureka moments. Now, the danger with this stage is that because there can be— a uh, the, because this can be a season of accelerated growth, quote unquote, where y- you're like, man, I didn't know any of this stuff six months ago, and now I'm, you feel like you know kind of everything, <laughs> and 
and you have a lot of information, but not wisdom yet. And so this can be really dangerous because people will look at their lives and go, man, I, I didn't used to read the Bible and now I do. And now I, now I know more about the Bible than, than that guy over there. And then I was part of this, I was part of this small group or whatever, and it was amazing. And then very easily it can creep in where you're like, Hey, like if you're, if people aren't doing it the way that I'm doing it, then they're doing it wrong. That's right. And it breeds this weird, like, us versus them mentality. Yeah. Where uh, because a certain program or a certain methodology was transformative for an individual's life, that person makes the the mistake of thinking that that methodology or that program is the totality of discipleship to Jesus. That's right. And so they'll, they'll say things like, you know, well you know, if you're not doing it like this, then you're not really making disciples. Yeah, whatever that ministry was or the book or the author or the pastor. Methodology. Or any of that. Yeah, yeah. It's, whether it's centered around spiritual disciplines or social justice or or information or theology or whatever, you know. And it's like, hey, if you're not doing it like that, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. That. And that's where a lot of people get stuck here um, because it really breeds kind of this uh, complicated form of pride that's a... a it's self-referential. If I, unless somebody looks like me or does things the way that I do them, then, you know. And so that's the danger here. Um, I think that what you want to do if you're further along than this is is to facilitate environments for the disciple where they are exposed to other methods, other people from different backgrounds. That's good. Other, so you want to push them out into service opportunities you want to get them out into the community you want to you want to get them around people who are different from them so that they can see oh wait you love Jesus too and you do totally different yep. right whoa oh oh wait maybe this is more of a mosaic than it is just a insular one little uh, stone that's well said. you know i and, like that and so that i think that that's the critical point in uh, moving beyond the learning life i remember being in the learning life i graduated from college i'm living in atlanta was a part of a church there getting some opportunities to serve uh, in their young adult ministry. I wasn't married at the time. And the young adult pastor and I were meeting for lunch. And I remember I had what I thought was a very scary question that I needed to ask him at that lunch, where I think I'd had a, some time with the Lord recently and just kind of felt bored mm-hmm. and um, was like, well, I've uh, learned everything I need to know about <laughs> Jesus. Okay. And I remember sitting down at lunch with him and just going, Bill, I got a question for you what if you've already learned all of it? You know, And I just remember he was so kind to me. Yeah, he, good just, for him. he just smiled and <laughs> said, that's great that you're learning so yeah. much. Here's the thing. And he, and he really taught me that uh, just hang out, right? You're, there's going to be more. And, uh, and I, you know, here he says, I've been following Jesus this long and I'm still learning new things. And, um, and I just thought that was funny as you're talking about the learning life, because that, that is some of that kind of, uh, it's innocent and it's a little prideful. Yeah, at totally. the same, it's complicated. That's what you said. I think it's a complicated form of pride that can pop up sometimes. It totally is. And I, you know, I liken it to like a, if you're going to do put this one onto a, the stages of normal human development, it's like the childhood yeah. phase where yeah. you're not quite an adolescent, but there's that, there's that piece. I'm starting to experience this more with, with my kids where I'm like, hey, uh, let, me, let me teach you this. And they see it for like two seconds and they're like, oh no, I already know that. Yeah. You know? And I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh. You don't. Okay. <laughs> you don't. 
there's no way you know how to work that power yeah, drill yeah, right exactly now. Exactly right. right. But I, they think they do. They think they do. Yeah. Okay. So the converted life, the learning life, and then the productive life. Yeah. So this naturally three. pushes people out. I think in a healthy way, it pushes people into those spaces where they begin to realize, oh wait, I have unique gifts. Yep. God has gifted me in uh, really special ways that that are specific to me. And I get to use those. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the, some of those fundamental, core, deep, essential questions that we ask in the, in the converted life of, am I powerful? Do I have agency? Those are, those are fundamental human questions. Right. That's when those questions begin to be answered in the productive life, where someone is like, oh, dang, I am powerful. I do have agency. Like when God said that he uses people to change the world, he really does. Yeah. And, uh, oh, dang, I might be one of those people. So you, you begin to realize that, hey, if I, uh, if I reach out and serve in this way, th- this X, Y, or Z changes. Yeah. And if I love my neighbor in this way, then that person might come closer to faith in Christ. If I share my faith with my coworker or whoever, and that person is like, yeah, I want to do that. And they receive Christ. They begin to trust Christ because of that conversation, because the Holy Spirit is working through this. Then you feel like, oh, dang. Yep. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. It's It's so awesome. And it's so sweet to be around uh, folks that are growing like this when they start to understand they have a purpose. Yeah. Right. They start to understand they have a purpose. There's more to life than you know, where they live, what they look like, yep. what they're, what, what they wear, what their job is. And they really start to see, oh, wow, this is amazing. I didn't invite him into my story. Yep. He let me into his. Yeah. And there's something very, very powerful about that. Absolutely. That is, uh, and I like that you just call it what it is here, that it's productive because there's some real things that, I mean, churches start, gospel shared, Bible studies led, people discipled. There's yep. some things boxes. are moving. Yeah, yeah, you can measure some things during this life, right? Yep. Or this stage. Which is the danger of it as well. I mean, it's a really beautiful thing that's necessary. Um, I, I like to liken this stage to the stage of adolescence or uh, like young adulthood. Yeah. Where, uh, where people are just uh, busy. <laughs> <laughs> well and, and it's and it's like hey I, like there's all right I did that what's next yeah. what do I do next yeah and that can be really dangerous because you begin to measure spiritual health and vitality and maturity by performance mm. you know what it, it, I mean I know it's overly simplistic but it really is a like hey what have you done for me lately and so you'll hear things like well when was the last time you did X Y or Z to further the kingdom. And you begin to measure subconsciously, you begin to measure your relationship to God through what you're doing, what you're doing for the kingdom. And uh, look, man, a lot of people get stuck here because uh, any time we're measuring something by how we perform, then we we have this false sense of control, like we can control the results. And you'll see this in, you know, some church, like churches that manifest like this will have, you know, they'll, they'll measure it by number of converts they have or number of people who go through their programs or the size of their budget, right? Those are all very easy metrics to go. Yeah, but I mean, dude, how often are we in conversations with people 
and some event happened, what's the very first question people want to know? How many people How were many there? How many people were there? Yeah. Right? I mean, because that's our ingrained metric right. of whether it was successful or not. And if it's like, well, there was only like 100, then people will be like, oh, you almost feel sorry for them. Right. Like, pat them on the back and, you know, sorry about that. And it's like, so... That's the kind of uh, drip or the leak that can happen here. And it can become really dangerous um, because, again, um, it, it is a very natural part of the spiritual progression where the Holy Spirit is going, hey, you do have agency, but also the agency that you have is insufficient apart from the empowering work that's happening inside of you. And... Uh, we will very naturally, again, our kind of like self-referential or Promethean attempts to be God, we will attempt to live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, then you just run yourself into the ground. Yeah. Which is what I love about this, uh, this framework that you teach, because uh, we're in stage three right now. We're going to go to stage four. But there's a different yeah. path you got to go through, which is very unique about this. But I think, I think as we talk through this this interlude, right, this uh, this moment that happens between stage three and four, I think we're going to start to see what you just described as some of the destructiveness that can happen. Um, destructive may be too strong of a word, but some of the negative impacts of the productive life. Yeah, it can negative. be destructive for sure. Yeah, and then we're also going to see the sweetness of stage four. So let's talk about this because I think this is like so. If somebody's just listening right now and they're writing down notes, write one, two, three, then leave a big. Just put. Leave don't a huge don't space. call it three B. <laughs> don't call it four one. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a break. This is the interlude. This is the intermission almost called the wall. Yeah. So talk about this. It's the biggest paradigm shift for in the spiritual life, and you you know it. You know you're approaching the wall, or you have the opportunity to. Um, when you begin to ask questions like, Man, "Is this all there is?" Mm. Like, I feel like I'm spinning on this hamster wheel. And am I really about, is the Christianity thing just really about the latest time that I served in X, X ministry? Is it really about the time, you know, okay, now I've just, I'm not going to share my faith with my waiter again, you know, like, and what if I didn't? Yeah. And, and it's just, uh, you just start to get really tired. Mm. And what that does is it provides an opportunity for the Lord to orchestrate events around you or inside of you. This typically is marked by any kind of like life change or a significant event in your life that, that tends to be traumatic. Um, it can be an internal angst that is just a, uh, what John of the Cross would call a dark night of the soul. But it's basically that time where you're moving out of uh, a you're moving out of the spaces of productivity because you're starting to recognize that uh, the productive life as an end into itself is completely insufficient. Mm. And you know that internally and, and yet you continue to go, 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 ad nauseum. Yeah. And, and then, and then, you know, the proverbial crap hits the fan, you know, and you're like, well, dadgummit. Yep. It wasn't supposed to work this way. I've been following Jesus for X number of years. Why am I here? Right? 
And this is the temptation that happens with this stage is to go what? Is to go, well, I must need to go back yeah, to yeah. be productive. Unfortunately, because people are deeply formed in the productive life um, or in the learning life, then they'll start to approach the wall and it freaks them out, yep. right? Because there's there there really is like an existential void there. And you're like, I don't want that. That can't be it. That can't be good. Yeah. And so I must have missed something. And they'll circle back to the second stage so that they can learn more, so that they can be more productive. Because they've convinced, they've been convinced either by culture or church subculture or a certain individual or whatever that their highest end is to produce things for the kingdom. And yeah. so I've got to get better at that. Well, that that only that's a that's a fix, but just like any addict, you know, it wears off and now I need another fix. And you're gonna approach that existential void again. And you're circle back so you can learn some more, so you can be more productive. Yeah, and uh, and man, honestly, and this is really sad, but it's true. Um, I think a lot of Christians who hit this, um, they end up making some sort of like uh, deal, hmm. uh, internal deal, where they're like, "Hey, I, I just I won't do I won't go off and do anything like totally licentious, and but I'm going to double down." And I know that something's off here and I'm not sure what it is, but I'm going to, but this is the offense that brought me and this is what I'm going to play. I'm just going to keep doing it. And they just do it for their entire lives. Yeah. And uh, they can become really hardened um, through that and can be really destructive to themselves and others. Yeah. That's what I love about this, this model that you're teaching here is because I think this, uh, this fits real life. Mm. So folks that have been walking with Jesus, you just gave language to some people going, this is where I am now. This is where I was back in 2017. This is where this finally makes sense of, of, uh, some of my journey and that, and you really, you've got to go through this. And so the thing to do when you hit the wall is what? Yeah. Well, what, what the Holy Spirit is doing is that, that emotional attachment that you had in the converted life that then you put a lot of language to in the learning life and then started to exercise in the productive life. The Holy Spirit is very intentionally withdrawing that because, and this, I cannot like, um, you know, pay attention. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I can't emphasize this enough. Um, like God is not an emotion. Mm. He's not your, he's not the way you emotionally relate to him. He's a person, right? He is the triune Godhead. And, um, he, he doesn't want you to relate to him, um, just through emotionalism. He doesn't just want to relate to you, you to relate to him based on some sort of transaction mm. that happens. Like, you know, I died for your sins. Therefore, now you must get after it for the kingdom. Yeah. You know, like he is at his very essence. Um, he is love. And uh, in the in the wall, what he's doing is he's he's creating or not creating is more he's exposing the void that's already there to show you that um, the ultimate and the highest end of the spiritual life is not what we know or do for the kingdom. It's actually God himself. There you go. And in order for you to, uh, in order for you to know that, like not just know it intellectually, but deep down inside, then you have to walk through the void of all all of the insufficiency of the previous stages. Mm. You have to, you, you begin to see th- those things differently. 
instead of going, you know, um, yeah, charge over the water pistol and learn all this stuff and then do all this stuff. You're like, Hey, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they're, but they're leading me somewhere. Yes. They're not the end to themselves. And the wall experience is the thing that literally forces you because you wouldn't do it otherwise. It literally forces you to sit down and be quiet. Mm. Like, shut up. Listen. Like, slow down enough to be comfortable with the silence. And it's the, you know, I have a vision of, of Elijah um, in, in 1 Kings 19 when he's standing at the mouth of the cave, you know. And all this noise is all around him, you know, and then, and then it goes away and there's this like gentle whisper, you know, and the, and, uh, as who was it, was it Chesterton or John? No, it was George MacDonald who has a series of sermons. And one of the quotes he has in there is he says, God is working underneath. He's, he's pushing up all of our malformation and dysfunction up to the surface. He's, he's approaching his child from behind. Mm. That's great language, right? Where, where he's, he's going, Hey, this is who I am. Um, I'm, I, I don't primarily care about what you know or what you can do for me. I primarily care about you because you're made in my image. I created you. I delight in you. I love you. And, that you, you just can't hear that unless you learn to be still. Yeah. And Brother Lawrence, I think, did this really well. Um, he his little book, The Practice of the Presence of yeah. God. Yeah. Where you're just you're reformed away from. Um, all right, I have to do this. I have to because if I don't, then I have this massive identity crisis. To where you know, uh, like Brother Lawrence said, he's like, no, our the our highest end is to live in the love of God. And, uh, and, and there's a, there's a calmness and a stillness there. The, the whole, the frantic hurriedness of the productive life begins to fade. Yeah. So good. So we go through this wall and then we can move on to these, these last three stages. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about these a little faster because they're, I think, honestly, the lines here become a little bit more blurred. They're the first three stages. There are such clear delineations or clearer delineations. And so, um, so stage four, after you move through the wall and the interlude and, and you don't just keep going back, you know, yeah. to try to learn more, or just do more, then you get to what's called the inward life. So why don't yeah. you describe that? Yeah. You finally decide to sit down like Job did, you know, you finally decide to go, you know what? <sighs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, I, I mean, the big, the key word in all of this is you begin to surrender. Yeah. Mm. Uh, like you begin to go, I, I don't know. And I can't do. That's really good. Say that again. Yeah. You begin to surrender and you begin to live in the, I don't know. And I can't do. Yes. It's, I mean, it, look, the Christian life is not about what we do for God. It's what, it's about what God has done for us. Amen. Peterson said that. And it's, and it's not even what we say about God. It's what God says to us. And you begin to realize these things in a really deep way. And then you begin to realize, Oh dang, man, he's pursuing me all the time. Yeah. And, and I don't have to do things for him. I get to do things with him. And that, that requires that you take a deliberate journey inward. And the inward life is that journey. It's the journey of knowing yourself. Like uh, the ancients called this double knowledge, where they said, hey, that the more I know God, the more I know myself. Yeah. The more I know myself, the more I know God. And uh, Paul talks about this in, in Colossians 1. It's this, um, there's this renewal of our inner being where, where we're growing in the knowledge of God. 
And, and the love of God becomes operative in our lives. That becomes the operative thing in our lives. Everything is done. Uh, everything that is done is done for the love of God. And, and you can't functionally stay there unless those areas of your lives that have been malformed are exposed and dealt with. Yeah. Um, an honest, uh, vulnerable uh, authenticity. Uh, you know, I was in a meeting the other day and um, Karen Milliken, shout out, uh, s- said this. I thought it was really good. She was like, hey, it's easy for be- for people to be authentic but uh, like just to say like, hey, this is what I struggle with. This is my, this is the real me. You know, it's very difficult for us to be vulnerable. Yes. Right. To sit there and go, uh, I don't have any clothes on. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yet like, that's what we need. That's where we need to be in front of God so that we can begin to receive his love for Which us. Which would be very difficult for our audience for men, because generally speaking, I mean, nobody likes vulnerability, but for men, Vulnerability brings about with it this uh, this opportunity for hurt, mm-hmm. right? And we want to be or protectors, rejectors. yeah. Yep. Yep. And and so, uh, but that's exactly right. During that inward life, that that is when you meet somebody who's not just saying, "Oh, in the past I struggle with these." When they look you in the eyes and they go, "Right now, mm-hmm. uh, I'm struggling with this," and today and uh, yesterday, or right, you know, these are the things going on. Then you know uh, there's somebody who's going through this journey inward right now and their faith is still intact and they, they're hopeful about it, yeah. but they're just starting to see some things well, that are there. Well, it's because when, when you are actually vulnerable, when you do actually let your guard down in front of God, what you begin to realize in really deep ways is that God is love. Mm. Like you never, you never, there's never a moment where you're vulnerable with God, where he rejects you yeah. ever, ever. Yeah. Yet we're so afraid of that, right? We're afraid he's going to, but he's already spoken on the matter. While you were still a sinner, he died for you. Yeah. Like he, this is a rescue thing where he's like, no, I love you. I, I want to be inviting. I, I'm, I'm inviting you deeper into this kind of life. And that, that very naturally pushes someone who's beginning to, to substantively be transformed by the Holy Spirit. That very naturally leads them to uh, uh, a new sort of way of seeing the world where they're not doing things because they have a massive question mark around their identity and they have to perform. They're doing things because uh, the Holy Spirit is already working all around them and is inviting them into his work. Mm. And that's what the outward life is. Yeah, which so is this stage, fifth stage yeah. yeah, this fifth stage is the outward life where now instead of perform, 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 now it's, uh, it's Jesus going, hey, I'm inviting you. Like, come on. And you know what? It's funny because people are like, well, what if I don't go? It's okay. You don't have to. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it, I think uh, more often than not, if you're not ready, Jesus will invite you. And then if you're not ready, he's like, okay. Yeah. And he pulls up a chair and sits. Yeah. And that, you know, and then another opportunity comes. Are you ready? You don't know. And, and the whole time he's with us, he's with us. He's discipling, he's reinforcing, he's loving. He's, uh, and, and I think, you know, there are those times when, you know, when he's like, you know, hey, let's take this little bitty step. And, and you begin to realize as you begin to walk in Jesus's ministry with him, that he's the one who's been doing it all along. All along. Yep. <laughs> and that's where in stage three, you might picture the, the life of discipleship as like swimming up, you know, swimming up uh, uh, upstream yeah. or something where you just go, go, go. And now in the outward life, you begin to realize, oh no, this is like riding a wave. 
like like the the power of the ocean is the thing that's carrying me. I'm just holding on, yep. you know. And and you begin to uh, you begin to do things with Jesus. And the really obvious thing when you do things with Jesus is you're not doing anything. <laughs> you're, you're giving him your loaves and fish and going, uh, it's all I got. It, yeah, it's all it's I got. All I got. <laughs> now know? we get to watch amazing yeah, things exactly happen. Right. And then it, and then it ultimately culminates in this life of love stage six. So talk about and that. And that's the, that's, that's the thing where I think the Holy spirit has done such a significant work in the life of the disciple that, um, there, you have this full integration of being and knowing and doing, mm. And all of it is centered in the fact that that the disciple is uh, fully and deeply loved. Um, they are they're not just at, at times wondering, "Hey, does God love me?" You know, they're they're living out of the security, you know, to use attachment language, um, an earned secure attachment with the love of God. So good that they are um, that that question is answered for them, and so. Uh, these people tend to be uh, these these people tend to be not busy. They're not they're never in a hurry. Hmm. Um, they tend not to. They're not the chatty catty you know people who always have to say something. Um, but they are the kind of people that when you're around them and they do talk, everybody stops and takes notes. You know, and they're like, "That guy didn't talk a lot, but when he does, it carries a lot of weight." You know, um, because there's something different. It, it can it, and they in some ways can seem to a culture and even a church culture that's focused on winning, they can seem like they're wasting their lives because dude, you could be so much more productive, you know? And it's like, but it's not about that. You're describing this person and what's coming into my mind is the beautiful images of Jesus from the chosen. Mm-hmm. Right. That's good. That, yeah. That, that's what you're, I mean, and I think it's a great tangible example that, that uh, is a gift to the church right now. So that is, that is the life that's the life you read about um, in the Gospels, right? Of Jesus, just Jesus embodied down. a life of love. It was it. Yep. Nathan, I love this framework. And as you said, let's go back to to the caveats that you threw in the beginning of this. Um, there are no clear. It's not clean. Like it yeah, sounds no. clean. Like oh, I'm in stage four point two or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in in life, it doesn't work out this clean. And you can go back and forth. Totally. And, uh, I think the the language of the wall, like I've said, is very helpful. And and there's such a, a distinctive difference between those in the first three stages and those in the last three. There's some similarities, yeah. but a heart has changed. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. We um, begin to operate out of love yeah. and not insecurity. Yeah. And, and I would say two other things. Again, I said this before, but the operative word in all of this is surrender. You don't work harder to, to advance. You, like, you get crushed until you surrender. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit takes you. So like that's the way that this works. And then number two, I would just encourage people that you know as you're listening to this, I would encourage you to remember that for all of us, we all tend to be a lot more gracious with ourselves. You mm-hmm. know, so I guarantee you, there's people out there right now. They're like, "Well, <clears throat> I made it to the life I love." You know, <laughs> I'm definitely there. Yeah, and I'm just like, "Hey, if that's you, like that's pretty much surefire evidence that you're not you're in not the life there. of love, yeah. right?" <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> which right. is okay. It's yeah. all right. You know, you know, that, it, our our job in this is not to try to strive to be the to get into the next stage. It's to sit. It's to listen. It's to go, Jesus, what do you want to do around me and with me and in me right now? And I just want to cooperate with that. Fully trusting that at the right time and the right ways, he is going to grow you, transform you. He's constantly um, weeding out those parts of us that are, uh, that don't look like him. Yeah. And that's a gracious wounding, right? To go, hey, I'm going to, 
Um, I'm going to make you into someone that you would not have even dreamed of. Mm. Um, and so uh, be real with yourself. And then number two is um, be gracious with other people. And look, if somebody's clearly in a stage that, you know, that uh, is maybe one of those first couple of stages, like encourage that person. Um, don't roll your eyes. Don't laugh them off. Don't dismiss them. Like, dude, um, get get in it with them. And be, a, be an encourager. Be a coach. Allow Jesus to use you uniquely in those people's lives. I love it. Nathan, this is fantastic. I know this is going to help so many of our listeners. You know, one of my favorite quotes from Nathan is this. He said this years ago. He said, discipleship is not about working harder. It's about surrender. So wherever you are on this spiritual growth journey that we talked about today, uh, it's about getting to know the heart of our Father in heaven and surrendering more and more of your life to Him. Nathan, uh, loved having you in studio today. Thank you so much for coming by and spending time with us here on the Better Man Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how you can bring the Better Man 11-week experience to your church or your community, please visit betterman.com. Today's episode, as always, was mixed and edited by the great team over at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Have a great day.